I mean, I find writing gives me clarity, but I think、mm. it's been really like liberating. My Angelou is my favorite poet, and、um, something she said. She said, "There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story," and so I've discovered that there's a lot of freedom in telling your story. And also, telling my story has helped me embrace my experience because it's taken away the shame. And I think it was Brene Brown.、Um, she talks about she talks a lot about shame, but she says shame grows in the dark. Shame cannot thrive in the light.、Mm. And so, talking about the things that I was ashamed of, put it into the light, and it's it's taken that away. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host Surabhi Veech. Physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio, join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi, friends! I'm so excited to bring back the second half of this amazing conversation with Inamisit Graham. In the first half, we talked a lot about diastasis recti, body image,、um, fitness. Uh, diversity, decolonizing fitness, and understanding the history of oppression and colonization and slavery in under better understanding、um, body image and kind of who how it shapes people. So we're gonna get right into the second half of this conversation. Welcome back, Inemisit, and let's get right into it. What? How do you? You know how? What's your experience? Because I'm guessing where you live now is. Largely white. Am I? If I'm right to yeah, assume that, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's fifty percent indigenous, but、um, yeah, fifty percent. Interesting.、White. Yeah, and so like you obviously you know visibly stand out because you're one of probably one of the few black people up there.、Yeah. Um, and do you find that yourself, or do you find yourself doing a lot of education to the people that you meet, whether it's your friends or you know? Your kids' friends or parents. I mean, it really depends on the setting. Sometimes some stuff you just need to kind of、um, learn to pass. It was interesting. I had a conversation、mm. with. It was a white friend that was married, got married to a black man, and she had a conversation. She said, "I didn't realize how exhausting it couldn't be to be black until I got married to my husband." And she mentioned that they were at a work party and. There were lots of microaggressions, lots of things that were said to him constantly, and she said I started to get really irritated and really angry. And I looked at him and I said, and he, I said to him, "Doesn't this make you mad?" And he said, "I can't get." He said, "If I got mad about everything, I'd be, con- I'd be permanently angry." Yeah. And it's kind of those situations, like I'll be in conversations and people will say things or I'll hear things, but it's like, not everything is worth your energy. And I've learned to kind of protect my energy and protect my peace. Peace, yeah.、Um, and someone once said to me, she said, "You can't." Make anybody. You can't convince anybody of anything. People have to come to their own epiphany. And so, like when I share, I'm not sharing from a point of trying to convince anyone、um, of anything or convince them they're wrong. I'm sharing just to show a different perspective, and to say that I understand, I see this perspective, but this is the other one that exists. And I think sometimes people 
don't understand that there's another perspective they just see it as an attack on them and like a small example is like i've seen people white people because you have the thing like black is beautiful or native pride and white people be like why can't i say white pride why can't i say white is beautiful and you get that response that like rebuttal and it's like the reason showing them to understand that white is what's normal and like i can was hearing what you said not that you're ashamed of being Indian, but you're ashamed of being othered and you're ashamed yeah. of your culture and your practices and you just being seen as abnormal and yeah. outside of the realms of what's acceptable. And so um, that's part of that to share that we, we, we say black is beautiful because the message has been that white is beautiful. We see that in our movies. We see that in our lead characters. We see that even in children's books in Disney. They're like, white is beautiful. We understand that. And so this black is beautiful is not saying black is more beautiful than white. It's just acknowledging that black is beautiful too. Native mm -hmm. pride that comes from a place for um, 200 years for the history of Canada, um, 151 years, indigenous people have been oppressed and residential schools, it took away rebukes, they took away their language, it took away their practices. It physically removed children from their parents' home. Native people, indigenous people were told not to have pride in their traditions. And so this response of native pride is reclaiming what was taken from them. It's not saying white people shouldn't have pride because our modern society is set up on white it's supremacy. Built to, yeah, it's <laughs> built to be, you know, think about what you think of you know Canadian hockey and all this stuff and people get so excited about that there's always going to be that like I'm a proud to you know to support hockey and uh to drink beer and all of those like quote unquote Canadian things that's all built on like white supremacy because like there's a lot of brown people in this country who yes they watch hockey but you know they might play cricket or they might play other sports that aren't necessarily like white sports that you normally see white people playing. Uh, and we still make up Canada because we're still, you know, working hard in this country. We're still paying tax dollars. We're still doctors and lawyers in every single profession. And I think that when we paint all of us as others, we really stop seeing um, each other as as human. It's, it is de dehumanizing, yeah. right? Um, and I also love what you say about like, you know, even seeing black people in movies and the few people of color that you see in a movie, there's like the one token or like a couple and they're, they have to be like super gorgeous, like over yeah. the top beautiful versus like there's a lot of white characters who are like, you know, blah. Or, you know, you can just show up and be like the average white person and get a role, starring role in a movie and you're painted as like the most beautiful actress or actor and you're like, you're kind of just average, you know? But it's, yeah. you, you don't have to work as hard to even show up and to be accepted. And I feel like, you know, as people of color, we're so used to working really hard. And I think that that's one of the, the reasons that I see now uh, a lot of the people I follow, of course, you know, reflect my story in some ways too. So there's, there is that bias, but I do really see a lot of strength, um, inner strength, right. In a lot of people and vulnerability as well, because I think being strong all the time is exhausting and just like it's exhausting to respond to every microaggression because, you know, I will point out to my husband, all of these microaggressions. Now he sees yeah. it too, because he wouldn't have seen it before. And even even after pointing it out, he won't notice it the same way because he's not he he didn't grow up in my body. He didn't grow up with my experience. How you like we're watching I mean, spoiler alert, you might pause this if you haven't seen it. The Quiet Place Two on Netflix. I haven't seen it. Um on Prime. And so we're watching it and like horror movies, that's the 
thing that black people, the black characters always get killed. And so we watch the movie and the two black characters that they introduce in this show of a cast full of white people get killed. They're the, the one of the, wow. the two characters that get killed. And so I looked, I, after the movie, my husband said, how did you find it? And I said, it was okay. And I'm like, it just really annoyed me that they had to introduce that they had to kill the two black characters that they introduced. And I said, and we know this is a thing for scary movies. So in 2021, I'm like, I wish they would have just kept one of them alive, made one of them one of the main characters. And he said, yeah, that is true. And it's not something like he noticed because it's, it's not like he's not noticing the black people because that's not him. Yeah. But another thing I'm like, when they do that in story in movies, I'm like, this reinforces the disposability of blackness. And right. it irritates me because that's another thing. They'll, they'll kill off the black characters first because nobody will care. Black people are disposable. Since chattel slavery, we've been taught this message that black people are disposable. And we look at how the police brutality, black bodies yeah. are disposable. We look at that's what started with um, George Floyd's murder that this triggered this resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement which yeah. started as a result of you know police brutality and the murder of black people where the there's never any justice and so there's this reinforcing message that black lives are disposable and the movies do that just simply by always not representing the black characters and when they show them they're the ones that can be cut off just without thought yeah and, and there's not that same like character building too i noticed right it's not like you get really attached to the character first and then they die off because a lot of the times when it's white characters dying you know i think about okay titanic right it's like the main character it's like you have this entire movie to like form this connection with leo and then he dies and then you're like devastated right and yeah. in a lot of movies when it's you know, black people being killed. You don't get that relationship building. You're just like, okay, yes, it's it's another character. There's this other it's Disney movie. I think it's Pixar. Romanticizing of the Titanic when the other flip side of that story is that there's no black people in the Titanic because black people weren't allowed on the Titanic. Yeah, and so it's that. like seeing this like whitewashed history, this beautiful romantic movie. It's like, yeah, like another, yeah. The truth is that, exactly. <laughs> they weren't, yeah. This is a elite boat that's or ship that's gonna sink um no there's this other movie what it's i think it's called is it called quiet no what is this movie it's about this man who is a piano pianist and like he dies he like steps into this pothole and then he oh yeah i'm talking about new movie um no i can't remember i totally know what you're talking about yeah Um, i'll have to think about the name i think it's something like peace or quiet or I think it's like a one word thing Um, but anyways this character dies and then he is it's like at first when I saw it I was like this is a good movie and then I listened to a podcast with uh, the movement maestro and Dr. Shanti Cofield and she had shared a little bit more and I was like oh my gosh I'm brown and I didn't I still miss this so really what's it called soul soul that's right I was like I knew it was one word um And like, so it really shows that the importance of like, we're not all monoliths because we are all non-white, right? So like my experience is very different than yours, even though we may have similarities in our journeys. And so I was watching this movie with my husband and I'm like, yeah, it's an okay movie. It wasn't, it wasn't bad, but the main character is black and then he's killed off right away. And he's still in the rest of the movie as like a spirit or soul. But then he has this like little, um, you know, blue character. I'm not, I'm very bad with details in movies. 
movies. So this is why I'm describing it like this. But yeah, he's helped by this little white girl, right? Who's telling him that everything, the way he grew up, his attitude was wrong, that he was wasting his time playing piano. And like, this is, these are other ways, to, you know, of living. And of course, it's like the white character showing the black character, like the truth. And it's just so like typical. And you're like, why, why, why? Like, why does it have to always be like that? You know? And I think that, this is the importance of storytelling and listening and really listening to other people's stories because if I hadn't listened to that podcast, I wouldn't have thought about it in the same way. And now that I see it, I can't unsee it. And I think that the more we see and listen to marginalized voices, to people who we've constantly othered, the more we can understand each other and realize like this is unfair. Like they should not be treated like this um it's time for things to change and I see that I see that on social media with you know all a bunch of white fitness pros who are really kind of stepping up and speaking out against it and I think that you know hopefully we see more and more of that because we need more allies um, for true change versus that performative like yeah I'm against this and then like let me go back to exactly like you said watching sex in the city and you know whatnot and like one thing that I always think about with my movies now is before we start watching I'm like who who's the main character and like is it is it just white people in this show? I don't want to watch it. I don't care how good it is. I, I have no reason to watch it because I was raised um, since moving to Canada with whiteness everywhere. I don't need more of that in my life. You know, it's, um, I don't care how good of an actor you are. There's still need for diversity. And if you can't hire people of different colors to write and direct and to star in your shows, I don't want to see it. And I think that that's something that I, I challenge our white listeners to really reflect on the media that you absorb, both TV, shows, social media. Um, and, you know, do you have the one, do you have shows that reflect diversity and different thoughts, you know, not just in skin color, but like different religions, different um, gender identities and sexual orientations, because all of this is important in kind of who we are and as fitness pros as well. Do you work um, in Emerson online as well? Do you do online fitness or is it all in person right now? I do one-on-one um, -on -one training online. And nice. so yeah, I do one-on-one -on -one training online and I um, do it in person as well. Nice. Um, you know, and I think that for you, you being so open and vulnerable, was it hard for you to start sharing so openly? Because I feel like a lot of what you share um, is really deep. Like it's really personal stuff that is amazing. But I think for me personally, it has been hard to talk about that in the past. So yeah. What was your journey with that? It's, I find it sort of freedom in telling your story. And also telling my story has helped me embrace my experience because it's taken away the shame. And I think it was Brene Brown. Um, she talks about, she talks a lot about shame, but she says shame grows in the dark. Shame cannot thrive in the light. Mm. And so talking about the things that I was ashamed of, put it into the light and it's, it's taken that away. And That's um, amazing. Uh, there was another quote. I mean, I love quotes. I relate to I, them. I also, for any of our listeners who already don't follow you, which I feel like everyone already does follow you, but your quotes are so good and I feel like you read a lot, right? So yeah. um, what was the quote that you posted 
today. I think it was today. How do you say her name? Upili? Um, Upele, yeah, Upele. Upele Chisala. Upele Chisala. Um, it is, please have the audacity to love yourself a little harder. That That's so true. And this is for all of the... Um, women, right? It's we have been told whether whatever color you are, you've been told, you know, from birth that you are what you look like, and that your worth is tied to tied so deeply to what you look like. And I think that postpartum hits hard for many people who already go into it with poor body image because it just you know it shines a huge light to that. It makes it that much bigger and that much worse. And so it's. It's kind of like just love yourself for who you are, not just what you look like, but just for who you are. And I, I really, for one of me, one of my things that's important in my social media is to share things that are um, amazing about women, period. Not just what they look like, but just who they are. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast and why I called it Mom Strength, assuming that name is not already taken, which I did a quick Google and it wasn't. But let's hope that it's not actually taken. But because I want to show that moms have this strength on the inside that we don't often see. We peg moms to be this kind of um, nagging, like annoying kind of like mentality, right? With this like mom bod that she kind of looks like this slob and she's always stressed out. And I feel like we need to reclaim motherhood and be like, no, like mothers are strong. They are they have this inner strength that I think men you don't often experience. Um, you know, I'm going to share a story that when, when I was pregnant with my first, I had a bleed at about six and a half weeks postpartum that brought me to the hospital. And I was real, very fearful that this was going to be a miscarriage because I, this was my first experience and I had no idea, you know, what was happening. And the nurse was calm and she had found a heartbeat, thankfully, and it was like the most beautiful moment when I heard her heartbeat and I remember saying like I hate being a woman like this is so hard and she had said you know just wait like you'll see the true um, inner strength that you have that being a woman has given you and I feel like now that I'm a mom I truly see that which back then I didn't I didn't see Um, like there's just so much growing that happens in motherhood and I feel like for you that's probably been a big case for you too because if it wasn't for your journeys with your pregnancies and postpartum um you know who knows where you'd be too right with your with your whole your whole journey yeah that's not a quote it's like it says i bleed for weeks and i do not die how am i not magic we are magic right (laughs) it's so true and i love um just talking about this stuff like it's normal because it is normal you know menstruation all of these topics that are that were considered taboo and still are in many populations or many circles um you know let's break those stigmas and kind of talk about this um awesome so we talked a bunch about it's funny because like yeah saying that it's a taboo in a lot of Western circles under yes. like white and uh, patriarchy it's linked like the patriarchal sure. oppression is a result of white supremacy that's another tie and like looking at um just this idea that the man is the head of the household that's not an understanding or a mentality in lots of African and indigenous and uh, like brown communities that's yeah. not yeah it's so true and I feel like even postpartum body image isn't like the same in India. Maybe now it is with the Western influence. But like my mom 
you know, she probably had a diastasis too. And she, because I kept asking her after mine, I was like, did this happen to you? Did your abs get like, did your uh, belly look like a cone when you got up from bed? And she's like, well, A, she doesn't remember because that was like, you know, 30 plus years ago. But also it wasn't so such a focus, right? So why would she remember something that was considered just normal, a normal part of motherhood? And that was not concerning to anybody. Nobody looked at her and said, oh, you need to lose weight. Uh, And I don't think people say that to us, but because we see the reflection posted everywhere, you know, in social media of, you know, that mom bod needing to get back, you know, that well, everything like getting back. Like lose the baby weight. <laughs> lose the baby weight. And it's yeah, like, um, wow. Back. It's just those phrases need to go. Um, and I think if you're somebody who still still wants to look a certain way, like that's fine that, you know, I think it's okay to have certain aesthetic goals, but it's understand why. And like you said, was dieting and all that was it going to make you happier and feel more beautiful no because you're that wasn't the true cause of kind of how you felt right it wasn't it wasn't the weight or the distension it was kind of deeper rooted than that oh what you mentioned with your mom's experience being different like she's indian like my mom had her babies in Nigeria. She had all her pregnancies in Nigeria. And she said what they did when she was postpartum is traditionally they have what's known as a fattening room, which is basically the new mother will be kept at home for three months and people will bring her food and they'll like wrap her belly after postpartum. They'll feed her so that she can get fatter in essence, be well fed, not have to do work so she can recover, produce good quality milk. Mm. And so this is not a Western thing. This is not um, born of like it's outside of like this chattel slavery white supremacy this new understanding um it was focused on her health focused on recovery and so this idea of a snapback it's not every culture's understanding of health this is a white culture's understanding of health this is a result of the last um four five hundred six hundred years it's not something that is and people are talking about returning to holistic health as if it's brand new and returning and discovering yeah. all these things. They're like returning to like midwifery and um, was a traditional and indigenous and black um, occupation. The first midwives in North America were brought over from Africa in the slave ships. Um, indigenous uh, midwives had been given offering safe birth control before birth control, chemical birth controls were popularized. They were offering safe abortions before all this abortion talk. Um, so there's being holistic care available. It's just this idea of white knowledge being the only knowledge that's right. valuable as a result of white supremacy is what it oppresses. That's another way that it oppresses, oppresses us all. We've lost an ability to heal postpartum because that knowledge wasn't considered valuable because it didn't come from people that occupied white bodies. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. That is so true. You know, and this reflected in my postpartum experience with my first, and I'm embarrassed to say this now, but I, my mom gave me this list of foods that I should be eating for the first, you know, three months. And I ignored everything she said because I was like, oh, like, what do you know? You're not, you know, you're not in healthcare. Like, but I basically ignored all of the deep wisdom that she was raised with because it wasn't coming from what I considered to be a, Um, you know, a good source of knowledge. And then for my second, and the funny thing is I recovered much more poorly after my first, even though I like my body looked thin again, um, my general recovery, my mental health, everything felt so much harder. And my second time around, I allowed myself to be taken care of in the way that, 
you know, she had been raised. You know, I I allowed her to make food for me every day. Actually, I still do. And I feel like there's so much wisdom in the, in our own cultures that because we haven't been um, empowered to share this knowledge because it wasn't coming from a white body, like we, we kind of hide this, right? But like now I'm so proud of all of these you know, traditional foods that I grew up with that are very healing that people here are now only discovering like turmeric and cumin Uh and all these spices that literally were, you know, part of our foods growing up. Um, And even same with the belly binding and stuff. Like we used to take a sari, which is like our long piece of fabric, you know, our clothing and use that to help support the abs postpartum. Um, And yeah, the mom did not lift a finger. And I'm like, that sounds wonderful. Can we go back to that type of postpartum, please? Because how much better would we all feel if we had that support? And talk uh, about like, that traditional knowledge because you dismiss it because that's the information we've got, we've been given. And that was an intentional thing. That's why knowing history is important. That when medicine became grew as a profession, white doctors intentionally went out and put out bad propaganda about midwifery because it was an occupation that was almost 100% black and indigenous women. They right. put out a lot of negative propaganda and said that the safest way to have a baby was in a hospital because they wanted the money and the income that was going to these and the care that these black women and indigenous women were doing but also like with my hernia I remember like my mom's told me growing up she said oh your grandmother was very against the hernia repair she said that they shouldn't have done it she said that it would have corrected itself she said that they interfered with what didn't need to be interfered and for a long time I just thought she never left Nigeria, my grandmother. She grew up in a village in Nigeria. She lived in the village until like her mid seventies. And then she um, went live, live with my aunt in the States. But at the time I thought she's just an old night black, an old Nigerian woman that grew up in the village. What does she know? Right. And I missed it. And I'm like, of course that white doctor knew better, but in at 35 now, understanding my body, understanding the hernia, understanding di- the diastasis and understand and knowing the limited research they have, I truly do believe that she was right, that had I not had the surgery, it would have reduced on its own. I believe it reopened because I don't know, a variety of reasons, but also I wasn't given prehab or rehab or stretch pressure management strategies. Right. But I also believe that my six-year-old body was just an immature body and it hadn't developed and I, my experiences would have been different. But it was just, it reminded me, it, was, it highlighted to me that you dismissed her knowledge because she was this like Nigerian woman that grew up in a village and like my education has been that village people are like ignorant yeah. and like this they're like savages they don't know anything and this doctor white doctor has been taught and he grew up in the west and he grew up in England he must know everything but this is that's the message of white supremacy yeah. and I realized that the doctor that operated on my body had absolutely no knowledge about my body my grandmother had grown up around black children she had seen other black children have these she had seen it um their experience she'd seen it um reduce on its own she had seen the belly buttons become less significant that was her experience she knew what she was talking about the doctor i saw i believe he had no experience with black people any research he'd done i know that to be fact was based on the whole medical system is based on research on black people and the oppression of black people so i knew he didn't know what my grandmother knew but for a long time i believed that he must have known more than she knew just because i mean that's we all grow up what you're saying there's a quote that says um it's a story about uh it's a kind of analogy for white supremacy the story goes that two fish are swimming along in a 
in a two fish, a fish are swimming along in the ocean and an older fish swims by the two young fish and says hey lads how's the water and the two young fish keep swimming along and then a while later one of the fish turns to the other one and says what the hell is water <laughs> I found it so British when I heard myself back <laughs> um, but like the analogy is comparing white supremacy to water and so we are all fish born swimming in this water of white supremacy and we don't see it and it affects everything in our lives but when you start knowing hearing people's stories hearing other people's experiences outside of the majority looking at history and hearing history from the side of the people that didn't win for the side of the oppressed the other history that you haven't learned you start to see the water and you start to come to the surface and the more you come to the surface the more you look around and you see that it is literally everywhere but as long as you're swimming in it and you never make a conscious effort to educate yourself you won't see it it's so true it's i love that analogy because i think um we're all it's true we're all swimming in that water and we're not unless we're making conscious decisions to notice and to change and to learn from other voices it's not going to just happen to us because the school system isn't just going to suddenly decide to educate you uh, you know from the true versions from all, all of these other cultures maybe change was is going to happen but it's going to take a long time so unless you want to be a passive recipient waiting for this for media to start you know employing more people of color like you have to kind of make that change internally and I think that it's something that you're so right you know when I look when I look at even my mom I'm always surprised now I I I see she's an older she's not old but like older Indian lady because she's a grandma now and I assume that she'd be weak because I don't see strong older Indian women. I don't see that many strong Indian women that are portrayed, right? And some of the exercises that I do, she tries it for fun and she's way better at it than I am. And I'm constantly like shocked. And I'm like, wait, but why am I shocked? Because this this assumption that she's going to be weak um, because she's a, a female she's brown and she's older right so there's so many different assumptions there that I think that we need to talk about so that we can actually change that um, and I you know I joke I'm like hey you should be you should make an Instagram account you know but she has zero interest in that but it's true <laughs> because we dismiss older voices especially from black and brown because you know they're village people or what do they know because in movies especially the odd time that we hear about this they're considered you know illiterate poor and terrible sources you know everything is is this based on a research study but the research studies aren't studying these populations so how can we base everything on research you know until the research is more fair uh, until it sees a wider distribution we can't base everything on research um, also just uh, honoring oral storytelling oral storytelling is a valid way of transferring information but that's something that's something that's very um, big in indigenous populations but something that was stigmatized along with indigenous populations being stigmatized and a lot of non-white cultures do have a long tradition of oral storytelling and things aren't written down they don't have to be literate but their information is still valued you can still be illiterate and smart or, lit- or literate in their own language, right? And it's assumed that if they don't speak, write, and read English, that they're yeah. illiterate. Um, you know, one another example is I, I you know, I have grew, growing up here, I have many white friends, and one of them went to um, uh, 
uh, where was it, Taiwan, to teach English. And there's this assumption that everyone there is going to speak English and welcome her, which is, again, white privilege, right? I'm not going to go to um, any country and just assume that, yeah, they should just speak my language because why would I? That's that's not a reasonable assumption. But when you're white growing up speaking English, you assume that no matter where, what part of the world you go, that A, they should welcome you and that they should speak your language. Uh, and when they don't, it's kind of like, oh yeah, they didn't, you know, they didn't really know much. And it's kind of like a negative thing yeah. um, versus like, hey, you should have been the one educated, educating yourself in their culture and yeah. their beliefs. Um, their way of dressing because you shouldn't want to offend them you're the stranger and the visitor but worldwide it's this like kind of expectation and until I had pointed it out to my friend she didn't see it as that way because she had she was also you know saying like oh they didn't really speak English and you know I went to this village and they were kind of like looking at me strange I'm like of course they were you looked visibly very different and you didn't speak their language so like, yeah, I always also find that sometimes that's another almost not understanding like the oppressive nature of like white supremacy and like racism is that I've talked to white friends and about my experiences like living in England, living in Canada, and they'll say like, well, if I lived in like Africa and I was the minority, then I'm sure I would have experiences like that. I've told them, actually, no, you wouldn't. Because no. this is the, glo the global nature of white privilege. I'm like, even in Africa, in Nigeria, whiteness is revealed like if you go to nigeria as a white person you will be treated very well you're not going to be discriminated against because you're white often they assume that you have money that you have education that you're some special and like, that you're powerful right you're there's powerful. this assumption yeah will go out of their way to help you they're not going to call you names and harass you walking down the street that's not the experience no. and also like they're, they'll they're, help you yeah, that's the thing right they will help you versus like I could go to northern Ontario in my own country right now and I would be scared I would yeah. be like I, I don't think people would and maybe people would you know stop and help but I've been to many places where they've looked at me differently and not in a kind way in a more like Mm -hmm. you know interesting what are you doing here um and I've been to other places where they're very very friendly so you know there's both but I do think what you're saying is so true same with India if you're a white person in India you know my husband and I went for our honeymoon and uh, we were treated like kings and queens right and like people there are very generous and very welcoming of any tourism um and they will go out of their way and they're genuine like we'd be invited home for you know chai you know cups of tea to like everybody's houses and they're genuine there weren't and there weren't rich people they were like quote unquote poor people and they were so generous with their time and their whatever little thing that they had they were generous with it and part of that is because he was white and part of that is because we're foreign. Um, but, you know, we, I remember being in a purse or in a store where it was a fabric store, like all sorts of different textiles. And it was just beautiful, like seeing all of the different patterns and scarves, pashminas, um, you know, because cashmere, you know, originated from northern India, Nepal, but people don't know that. They think it's like a French thing or something else. But, you know, we're looking at all these cashmere sweaters and scarves and this older middle to older age white lady comes in and is so obnoxiously rude to everybody there is like bossing them around and just like treating them like dirt. And I'm like, imagine as a brown woman, I went to some white, small white town and treated them like that. 
I would get zero respect, but yeah. she was still respected because there was this underlying, like, we have to respect her because she's white. Mm-hmm. And it made me so sad because I'm like, can we just kick this lady out? But like, we can't because that's, you know, that's just white supremacy. You know, that's white yeah. supremacy in a nutshell. And if you don't travel to these places, if you have no idea, you, you know, you don't even notice these things. You would chalk it up to the just, oh, it's just that one lady was rude. But yeah. it's not just that one lady. It's the fact that you can get away with that and it's not questioned. Nobody stopped and said like, hey, lady, that's rude. Um, yeah. And people get get triggered by the term white supremacy, but it's like it's important to name the system because white supremacy is a global system. It's worldwide. Racism is a result of white supremacy and that isn't everywhere like there is no racism in nigeria because the majority of people are black but there is white supremacy there within um uh lots of black and brown cultures bleaching is a really popular thing bleaching your skin to make it lighter in india it's face lightening and creams and things like that exactly because white is the aesthetic and i've said this before like to tell people i'm like even in black communities like there's a thing called colorism the lighter the skin the more they're seen as beautiful and the better they're treated and the rebuttal i'll have is but white people bleach no sorry but white people tan and that's another thing where history context matters and it's important to know history and that's why i talk about it on my page to understand the context bleaching is a result of white supremacy a result of this idea and this story that lighter is better the white is better that white is on top tanning was a result of fashion before tanning was a result of coco chanel she's associated with the popularization of tanning before that white came from the term white referred to pale to the light skin because yeah. rich women did not have to stand out in the hot sun on the fields so yeah wealthy caucasian women if you want i don't love the term caucasian but for lack of better terms were called white and so this white skin was a form of elite as a form of wealth a form of being on top right. coco chanel was a super popular celebrity in her time she was like an a living icon and there was a photo of her taken by the paparazzi where she went on vacation one uh, t- one time and her skin was tan and mm-hmm. that was all over the papers and it was an image that was printed everywhere back where print was limited print media was limited and movies and images were limited and people fell in love with that image and so women started tanning white women started tanning so they would be like coco chanel and so tanning has nothing to do with being black or being darker in skin color it was yeah it wasn't like they were trying to be brown you know (laughs) like today like their brazilian butt lips have nothing about being black it's fashionable it's been this characteristic has been fashionalized but bleaching is about being white because yeah. white is beautiful and just understanding when you have the context you understand they're comp- they're not comparable experiences yeah. but the bleaching was just an example just to show the universality universality of like white supremacy and white supremacy like travel like i've talked to my um friends about this white friends about where they travel and when I talk about where they travel i'm like i think about how i will be treated when I travel I think about my skin color it's always at the back of my mind I had a university a friend suggested I go to Eastern Europe with them and I was like no why would I go to Eastern Europe and they were like I want to see this place and this place and they were white they didn't consider that they would be mistreated because of what they look like and that's another privilege they weren't a friend that grew up rich they were a friend whose family struggled they made money and they were worked hard they got some money they wanted to travel and they had the freedom of looking at a globe and picking wherever they want i don't have that freedom i have to really like within reason i know like there's certain places that are dangerous for everyone but 
just like little things like that. You have to think more. Yeah, there's just that much more to to consider and think about. And I think this is something that I felt as well, but I felt like it wasn't acceptable to talk about this. It was almost like shameful, right? It's like I didn't want to point out that, hey, I might be treated differently. And I think it is um, much I think you're treated worse if you're black for sure because there's this, you know, worldwide kind of um, negative assumptions that are made and that's because of white supremacy, right? Because the darker you are, the further away you are from white. So it's like this global kind of um, negative stereotype or not stereotype, what's the, what's the right word? It's, I mean, it's racism really. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, like I, I think that I hope that whoever's listening to this really kind of looks within their own life because you can't change your past. You really cannot change the way you were raised is the way you were raised. If you grew up in a place that is very multicultural, you're going to learn a lot more, but you're still raised under that white supremacy um, system. And we need to work actively to change that. And especially for any of us who are fitness pros, physiotherapists, healthcare professionals in general, we owe it to our clients we owe it to the people we work with to be able to understand their stories better so that when we're working with them we're not just telling them um, blanket advice that we would give to let's say a white person because ultimately I'm realizing as I learn more is that like I said earlier the stuff that I learned in school was so based on whiteness um, that it's it's not the truth it's not the same thing for across all populations and I think learning about it more having these conversations um is is so important so I have a few kind of let's move on to kind of our final thoughts because I want to ask you some questions about yourself and what is your let's start with what's your favorite um books or you can have a few books that you because you love to read so I'm really excited to hear about your recommendations uh books or podcasts you know what are your faves I listen to audiobooks because nice. I find them just easy to listen. I don't have to sit down and make time. I can listen as I'm doing things. Um, so, yeah, um, let me see. What's my library look like? I like, I am not a nonfiction read. No, I'm not fiction. That's the one. <laughs> Stories. I'm not a fiction reader. I like to read facts. That's where I have my interest. Um, so, like, kind of stuff on my reading list. I think if you really want to know, kind of get, get a better perspective on um, diversity and intersectionalism and how like race plays a role, like some um, great books that talk about that, are like Leila F. Saad, Me and White Supremacy. That's yeah. a book I read just to get a perspective. Like she, it's that was another one of those books that I could have written myself. She validated a lot of my experiences, but um, because I'm a black person living in, under white supremacy, but if you're a white person living under white supremacy, it gives a different perspective and kind of shows, breaks down how racism affects people in real life situations. Um, but I also like the book, Invisible Women. So I focus um, on women's fitness. Um, that's kind of, I think there's a, there's a, 
place for men's health. There's a lot of information that's catering to men and lack of information about women. So the book Invisible Woman looks about through a lot of research and how women have been left out in research, basically. And it's really fascinating. Like one of the random facts I can remember from that book is that women are much more likely to die in a car accident because seatbelts are based on men's bodies and seatbelts protect men the way it's strapped across. It protects their organs differently than it protects a woman's organs. And as a result, women are more likely to die. It's actually it's safer wow. for What? <laughs> yeah. See, these are the things you don't realize because these are things we just take that someone must have done it right and, you know, this must be good for everybody. Um, you know, really asking why. I love that. Yeah. And things like even like books like Anti-Diet by Chrissy Harrison that just kind of talks about um, it's a good – book if you kind of stuck on a diet cycle and you just want to a more freeing way to approach food but it also talks about the history of dieting and how it's nothing to do with um wellness and it's nothing to do with health um and a couple of weeks, the book menopocalypse is also a good one i admit Ooh, that that sounds good it's by amanda Thebe. i'm 35 so they say average person enters menopause early to mid 40s. So I'm trying to be proactive and just kind of get some information about it. Because a lot of, like I said, the health information isn't based about, around women's bodies. And women's bodies are very different because we have um, very different hormonal profiles. And that affects a lot of things in a different way to men. And so just having information, information is empowering. Knowledge is power. So I like, yeah. I love that. I heard this podcast with, I think it's called At Your Cervix, um, and they were interviewing Michelle Lyons, I think. And she had said, you know, how often do we learn about um, like trigonometry in high school? And like, how often do we learn, use that in real life? But like, what if we just learned about our bodies more? Like even just our hormones, you know, what do we, as women, we knew our bodies and we weren't, you know, mid thirties having to figure this out for the first time. Uh, and you and I are in healthcare and, you know, we work in fitness, so we are more invested in this, but how about the average, you know, average mom out there? Like, does she have this information? Is she armed with this information as she heads into her, you know, perimenopause or, you know, even as she gets older. So I love that. I am going to tag those books in the show notes so for anyone who's listening and you want to check out those books um it's i have a friend who was like 34 she it was the first time in her life at 34 years old that she discovered that her periods could be um exact like her cycle could be exact and she never had a period that came uh, like it was every 28 days she never had a period that came every 28 days she was like maybe it's 23 maybe it's 25 maybe it's 31 because she'd been on the pill since she was 16 wow. and for a different reason she went off the pill and she started taking a holistic approach and learning her body and just because we're not given this information and learning that her body could operate like clockwork was just like brand new and just being in health i'm like your period is supposed to come at this day. it's supposed to be pretty like consistent yeah. like you you, but yeah, she'd never being on the pill. Like the pill is she hormones. Know. Yeah. It's what your body does naturally, and so like there's a lot of stuff that you it, you're never too old to learn about your body, and you're never too old, old to learn something new about your body. That's amazing. That's that's wild. That's a long time too to be on on birth control. Um, so okay, awesome. On to the next question. I want to know more about what are three things you try to do for yourself every day. Three things I try to do for myself. I 
feed myself. <laughs> I think nice. that's super important. I try to give myself just a moment of planned rest. I think it's like just really important just to give yourself like a timeout. And I, <laughs> I like that you call it a timeout. It's true. <laughs> a timeout. Sometimes, like, I'll be honest, sometimes my timeout is sitting in the bathroom with the lights off so no <laughs> I'm in there. Yeah, decrease all the stimulation <laughs> from, like, kids and noise. Turn the lights off. I love that. Yeah. And but it's funny, third I thing? Do, um, nutrition coaching, too. And so one of the things that has come up as a theme is in emotional eating is women saying that they eat, they don't know why they eat. Mm. And coaching through that, a reoccurring theme is that they eat beyond past fullness um, because it means that they don't have to do something else and it's time for themselves or it's something for themselves or they'll overeat food that they enjoy because it's something it's something for themselves mm. and often as mothers and just as women in general were taught that our purpose is service is serving everything everyone else as a mother your purpose is in raising great children and so there's never we never make time for ourselves and your body you desire that and your emotional needs you need that and so like there's a quote that says your body keeps score and it always wins and so you don't create time for yourself your body keeps score and you'll find that time in other ways and maybe that time is sitting overeating a meal that you didn't want to overeat because that's the time that's for yourself where you're not doing anything else but moving food to your mouth that's an extra few minutes where you're sitting for yourself that's a very interesting perspective and i and so with that i've learned it's not it's not the food. It was never the food. It was the mm-hmm. lack of time. And so creating time for yourself or creating something that you can get excited about so that you know that that need will be filled. Yeah. Nice. And what, so you um, take some time to yourself every day. You feed yourself, you know, regularly. And what's another thing that you try to do for yourself every day um, just kind of to take care of you? Um, every day. Um. I think I'm, I water my garden. So, I mean, that's something Oh, that's right. Because you have this amazing vegetable garden, right? That you're, yeah. Started and last so year. It's, we get a lot of sunlight up here in the summer in Yellowknife. Um, so, oh. it, I have to, if I don't water it for a couple of days, everything droops. So, I have to remind myself to go out and water the garden. But I guess that ties in with time for myself because I'll sit there, I'll be holding the hose over it for 10 minutes and just yeah. like, my mind can clear because I'm not really thinking of anything. It's almost like meditative, right? Yeah. I like, I've tried to meditate and I find it really hard to clear my brain. (laughs) And I just, I was struggling with that. I'm like, how do you like not think anything? And I discovered I like gardening by chance. And this year I realized that part of the reason I think I really enjoy it is because that is the only time I can really disconnect. And I'm just like, I'm not, I don't have a million thoughts running through my head. I'm looking at the water and that's just really, that's all that's going on. And I think I've just realized that's sitting in a room, just, I mean, a part of mindfulness is just accept letting the thoughts flow, but it's yeah. easier to turn off my brain when I'm just watching my garden. So that's my self-care. And being out in nature too, right? Like being outside, you know, there's yes. benefits of that too. So I love that. What's something that you've been into lately that you are passionate about? Um, TikTok. <laughs> yes, because you are killing it in TikTok. I have to make reels, so now I've been trying to consciously think of TikToks to put out. But I really, I do actually really enjoy the app. It's very entertaining. Um, I don't know whether I would recommend you hop on if you don't have TikTok because it's a lot of you can waste a lot of time on there. 
but I have TikTok and it's overwhelming. So I just, I'm like, I can't do two different platforms right now. I'm going to stick with Instagram, but um, your TikToks are amazing. So just if you beautiful. are on TikTok, go check out her page, Mummy Fitness. It's Mummy Fitness, right? It is. I mean, most of my TikToks, I make my TikToks because it's easier to edit TikToks than it is reels on Instagram. And yeah. lots of my TikToks are private because I post some public, but there's a lot of comments on TikTok and a lot of drama that I just, I don't yeah. have to edit before. So People are just there to start shit up, right? Like they're just there to like... Yeah, I've heard that too. Lots of trolls on TikTok to just fire people up. Especially talking about diastasis and showing my journey. You can't give context. TikTok doesn't let you write. I think there's like 20 characters. And so not being able to give context is a lot of questions. And it's like, yeah, I find TikTok overwhelming. I don't like to deal with the TikTok comments, but Instagram is good. Nice. Um, So that kind of brings me to my next question. How can listeners reach you if they have comments, questions, they want to follow you? Um, share with me kind of all your details. Okay, so I am most active on Instagram, which is at mummy, M-U-M-M-Y underscore fitness. Um, you can also reach me via my website, which is mummy-fitness.com. Um, email mummyfitness at live.com. And I'm on Facebook, although I'm less active on Facebook, but my Facebook page is mummy space fitness. Nice. Also, I do have a TikTok account, but like I said, it's not, I'm not encouraging you to follow me on TikTok. I use it for video editing and yeah. I put it sporadically, but it's not really. A, you use it like, more for, I guess, to make it for reels or make it uh, to then put on Instagram, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And then watch other people's videos and waste too much time doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So much time wasted. Um, things that I never thought I'd be doing in, like, if you asked me in early 2020, would I be on Instagram making reels and TikTok? I would say no you know when did you actually start all this when did you start on social media social media I think I created my Facebook page 2014 okay I joined Instagram about 2017 is when I started my Instagram page nice Uh, very cool and then one final question what would you consider is your mom's strength playing with my kids I think I'm very good at playing with my kids and you know, exercises help support that because I can go to the park and swing on the monkey bars with them and run around and chase them on the swings and without kind of with my body not being a limitation for that. So that's been uh, something I'm, I've enjoyed doing. And even before kids, I couldn't do the monkey bars in my like 20s. And so kind of the being forced into the gym, I view the diocese as a blessing in disguise and this distension because my physical discomfort with my body forced me into the gym and now I have I'm able to do more with my body as a result of that nice and keep up with your kids because as they get get older and bigger they're just going to be getting faster and you know as a mom you want to I feel like as moms in general we imagine like how we play with our kids but a lot of moms don't have the strength to keep up with their kids as they get older as they get faster and um so far who's winning are you are you still faster than your kids um, yeah, I, I am. I made I made my son cry the other day because I beat him on the monkey bars. And I wouldn't say that. I was like, you have to beat me fair and square. And then somebody who has sons in their 20s, she told me, like, she has uh, five kids, sons and daughters. And she said, yeah. like, you relate to girls by talking to them. She was like, you relate to boys by playing with them. So I'll ah. stick with that. I'm like, maybe if I can play with them, then I will find ways to we'll stay connected in that way. That's awesome. I think play in general is just such a – um freeing way to be like as an adult we forget to play ourselves and I think having kids has 
forced me to return to play in a way that I realized that I actually missed in my um, 20s and you know early 30s so that's awesome I wanted to thank you so much Inemisid for taking all of this time to chat with us I could talk to you forever about so many different world topics and important things uh, and we'll have to do this again but thank you again so much and um, to all our listeners if you found this uh, podcast episode uh, interesting helpful please share it with somebody who you know needs to hear this um, and leave us a comment and tell us how you enjoyed it thank you for tuning into this episode of mom strength and being part of this important conversation check out the show notes for more info and links and we'll chat again real soon